Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm an interviewer and a broadcaster. And what you're about to hear is one of the 1,400 interviews I did for publications such as the Irish Times, Sunday Independent, Hot Press Magazine, and for RTE Radio 1. How do I know that there are 1,400 interviews exactly? Because I recently digitised all the damn tapes myself. But please remember that many of the interviews were done for the print media and recorded on cassette tapes. So some are, let's say, sonically challenged. But sometimes sonic considerations should give way to historical significance, I believe. And I'm glad to say that at least some powers that be in RT Radio 1 agreed with me on this and broadcast between 2015 and 2018 many of my interviews in a series called The Joe Jackson Tapes Revisited. What follows is one such programme edited for this podcast and minus music, which I can't use for copyright reasons. The full tapes can be accessed at joejacksoninterviewer.com. Either way, enjoy. Hi, welcome to this edition of The Joe Jackson Tapes Revisited, a series that's based on 30 years of interviews I did freelancing for publications such as the Irish Times, Sunday Independent and Hot Press and for RT Radio 1. Why do I say all this in advance of tonight's show about Dolores O'Riordan? simply to highlight the fact that many of these tapes were made for the print media, and whereas background noises such as hotel music and noisy people usually had to be endured on the day, as with the first of my two interviews with Dolores, they can be a right pain in the uh, ear when it comes to broadcasts. That said, I've done my damnedest to digitally minimise such sounds, and besides, I'm sure that fans of Dolores, who died prematurely, aged only 46 in 2017, won't mind, and would love to hear again the woman when she was so young, so happy, and so full of life, with only hints of the shadows she hid to a degree, and that, in time, would engulf her. Our first interview took place in 1993, when she was only 22. But for those who don't know the story of how she joined the Cranberries, here's a brief bio. The band was formed in 1989 by Mike and Noel Hogan and Fergal Lawler, and its lead singer was originally Niall Quinn. When he left in 1990, they took out an ad looking for a female singer. Dolores, who'd once defiantly declared to a teacher in school, I want to join a rock band and make records, arrived, auditioned, wrote melodies and lyrics to existing demos, and later was hired. Their breakthrough came via the single Dreams and the album Everybody Else Is Doing It, Why Can't We? Before this interview, I'd never met Dolores, but I warmed to her right away particularly when, at the start, I noticed that from her vantage point at the other side of our table in Dublin Central Hotel, she was trying to read the typed set of questions in my hand. Is there anything in that kind of, uh, about the kind of Dublin media originally ignoring you? Can you read upside down? Yeah. I was a good <laughs> okay. in school. You were? I yeah, was. That's sideways. Now the teacher is there in front of your oh, desk. I, and you're, you're in. You know that kind of thing? <laughs> Okay, so what about that kind of the Dublin? Did, did you feel that the Dublin media originally ignored you? And do you have any ill feelings about that? I don't feel it. I know. That's too clannish. I know too, that too they Dub ignored us. All right. And I know that they have a problem identifying anything outside of Dublin. Right. And it is, I wouldn't say clannish, I would say small minded. All right. This isn't just in relation to music. You know, I've heard oh, the same argument. Really from, arts and everything, yeah, all know? the arts. Because I, I am my um, boyfriend that I used to live with before, he was a painter. and. Right. His friend was a sculptor, and right. like I knew lots of people who went to the art college and went on, came out with their diplomas or whatever they do, and started working. And he found it very hard to be recognised outside sure. of Limerick. They sure. come to Dublin and put exhibitions up here. Same thing, you know, because uh, Dublin is the capital, as, as we all know. I think half the population in Dublin, and the media is in Dublin. Well, that's yeah, that's the strongest fact. That's one of the strongest facts. So you've 
Dublin has got the media on its side, and the media is, it's like what pumps things into people's heads, you know, it's, like, it's how you see something or hear something is through the media, really. But do you feel good about the fact that the focus is shifting, even in, as we have to learn I feel very music. good, not, not, um, not just for myself, away. though. I mean, because oh, yeah. I'm fine now. I mean, as soon I always knew that the Cranberries had more international appeal than an Irish rock and roll Dublin. Hello, we're going to play here in this blah venue in Dublin. I'm going to stay playing here for 20 years, you know. I knew that it wasn't like that with the Cranberries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew that that's why a lot of people had difficulty in seeing our appeal, you know. A lot of journalists dismissed us as a second blah, second blah, with a female front. But why are they saying that? Because I didn't see yeah. any of the kind of... Yeah, a few, a few journalists would just dismiss us. There was one in particular, I'm not using any names, and okay. he dismissed us as being a second band, right, that were before Three Guys and a Girl. I met him and I said to him, right. did you ever see us playing live? He was there, no. Did you listen to our album? No. All right. Why did you all say right. that? Because you were a girl, you have a girl's voice right. and right. three boys. All right. All right. And basically you aren't from Dublin, so we weren't really going to give you the time of day, you know. I know that some cynical souls may wonder if a Dublin journalist actually said to Dolores, you weren't from Dublin, so we weren't going to give you the time of day. But I believed her, and I should know. I've always operated out of Dublin as a journalist, specifically the city, and I could be said to be part of the Dublin media. In fact, at the time of this interview, I had what some described, often jealously, a relatively unparalleled tripartite position as a music journalist, in that I did, as with this one, many cover story interviews for Hot Press, three out of every four weekly music interviews in the Irish Times, and I covered pop music on the art show on RT Radio 1. That said, as you may have detected from my questions there, I detested the Dublin bias in the media. I also happen to love Limerick, where my great-grandfather came from, and I'd once written for Hot Press, while located in Limerick, a four-page article in an attempt to help undo its image as Stab City. Hence, this question for Dolores. How important do you think it is for, for somewhere like Limerick specifically? Because I saw there in the paper, you know, the day you got the awards, that report was on page two, and on another page you had another report of a stabbing in Limerick, and there's this image of the place as just not the place to be. Do you think it helps Limerick? It helps young people there to aim for something else? For Definitely for artists in all different ways, be it visual or musical or acting or whatever. Right. Hopefully it might broaden their perspective as regards uh, international. internationally. It might, might make them see that, you know, just because you're from a little small town. Okay. Look, Elvis Presley came from the arts all over, really, That's you know right. what I mean? And he's Tupelo. the biggest thing, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. He still yeah. is, he'll always be. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you come from, it's, it's from the inside of your soul. And your soul. But it's more of an achievement though, isn't it? When you come from... I mean, that's what Sam Phillips said about Elvis, that he gave a voice to all those people who previously had nobody had paid attention to, black or white. Well, it's easier to be different because you don't have very many influences. You're just you, you're the only one really, you know. Right. You're the only cranberries in Limerick. But Limerick's are really, Limerick is really celebrating it, isn't it? I mean, the yeah. Welcome Home gig and all that stuff. I mean, isn't yeah, that, that must, does that feel good to you or does it not? It's nice, yeah, but right. you see, um, it's kind of strange with me because I lived in Limerick for a while and uh, in the city. I lived there, right. I moved in there when I was 18, when I joined the band. And then I spent most of this year away on the road. Right. And now I've come back and it's kind of different because all my yes. friends are gone in a way. They're still there, but it's very hard to relate to them. And I noticed that Is when you though? travel more and more, you make more friends, like, you know, people that know you from the road and they know what you're going through and they know what's happening all to you right. right now. Okay. But you go back to your friends and they're talking about exams and talking about, look at him, isn't he lovely? Look at him, you're there kind of going, yeah, look at about three, you know, about a thousand lads and I come up and they're going like, 
outside oh I can look at lads you know does it create a di it then creates a distance between even close old friends do you yeah, feel more you isolated from all your friends really do you really though the only friends that you really keep are the ones that are kind of with you psychologically the ones that are with you and with you growing and that are of uh, my girlfriend that I've been with since four years old she's on the road with us all right, she does okay. merchandise to work right, for a merchandising right, company right. so she sees what I go to I mean you know, she walks around with me and, and she sees me getting mobbed and she realises what I'm going through and that makes our relationship really Even good. Even closer. Yeah, cause, but other people don't know and they say, God, isn't it, it great? It must be great. Because all you did was sang and you're famous and you're kind of going, yeah. It is would, would you not bother explaining that it's not just no, that? No, I don't bother no. You just go, yeah, it's great, isn't it? And you just realise that that's it, you know. That you're drifting away and you're moving away. So when your friend uh, empathises with what you're going through when you're being mobbed, what are you going through? It's kind of annoying. You know, it's great to go on stage and perform and yeah. all your fans to scream and stuff. Yeah. But you know, after a gig, I'd be dying to go out to sure. her and say, how's it going, breath? And have a chat to her. I can't, can't go anywhere, really. Right. You mean mingle with the crowd after can't the gig? Can't go near the crowd after the gig, no. Because right. right. three of them spot you and they can't believe that you're out there and they start and then you run over, shoving things in your face. Sign this, I love you. Can you hug me? Just one hug. And you're there. I'm wrecked, lads, that I have to do in the gate, like, you know. Right. And I'm yeah. wrecked, yeah. tired, you know. Yeah. And we've yeah. a journey to travel overnight or whatever. But your fans don't know that, so they just completely they take everything out of you and you're, you're really tired. So. so, what do you do then? Stay backstage? I stay backstage and wait till the hall's empty. When the hall's empty, sometimes I go out there. Or one of the things is sitting behind the barriers and they're all waving at you. Getting, that's that's good enough wave with them you know from a distance yeah but when you go out and mingle with them they do take you can't you don't have enough to give them do you they feel, drain you, do you, feel you, you are being emotionally torn inside from all that from the demands they have on you no not really what, or what, what, what do you feel they're expecting from I you i feel physically i find a dream right. everybody's asking you a question you're surrounded by 10 people and they're all asking you a question and you don't be rude cause you can see how much you mean to these yeah, people yeah, individually yeah 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 that the tiniest comment could really help their lives yeah. If, the, if they, it been, it's funny to teenager maybe who was going through a really hard time. Yeah, you totally redeemed their head and made them feel great for some reason. With a song. With a song. And then they expect you to follow on though. Yeah, and when they meet you, then they're on, they're practically on their knees and stuff, and they're some of them crying. And when people are like crying and really emotional, you don't want to say, "I go away, I'm tired." You can't say that. Like if you've any heart in you at all. Like, Dolores and I then went on to talk about how, when she was growing up, her brothers loved the music of U2, but she herself didn't. She saw it as hard and aggressive and preferred what she called dreamy stuff, particularly Gregorian chant, which certainly calmed her mind and soul. When she first went to stay in a monastery, which Dolores did, she told me, in order to escape what she called the usual teenage pressures. But when I asked if it was true that she got her gig with the Cranberries because the band saw its music as feminine, quote-unquote, and as such they wanted a female singer, Dolores said not really. But then she said and here I have to quote her until the music dips enough to let you hear her voice. The boys were 16 17 at a time when what was happening musically in Limerick was all heavy blah blah blah, we are the boys, let's wreck the place and write silly lyrics. Such as, roll it there Dolores It's like, like I strangled my friend yesterday and he puked and he choked on his vomit kind of lyrics, right? That's, they were into that. Right, right. And of course, we poetry. The, the lads didn't, you know, they weren't thinking outside okay. of Limerick at the time. They were just having a little laugh. But they did say that their music was softer than the other yeah. boys, so maybe it would be nice to have a female singer, they okay. thought. Okay, okay. They weren't particularly pushed. And when I did go and hear them, there was a lot of space in the music. Right. And uh, space, Area. where I didn't have to compete. Right. 
Right. It wasn't like, you know, blah, 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 blah. and they were the only band in Emmerich at the time that were leaving lots of space in their music. All the other bands were into the heavy, over-the-top and noisy stuff. Does that tie in then what you said earlier you were listening to, like dreamy music, dreamscape music? Yeah, yeah. the lads were, you know, at the time, it's, it's, it, the lads used to write chord sequences and stuff, right. and the drummer, the way he played, it was really like open, it wasn't like okay. constant bass drum vibe, you know. Right. They just all floating figures. Floaty kind of music, yeah. But that's still the dominant mode when I listen to the album. It still has that sensibility, that softness. Because that's what I used to write myself at the time. Right. I used to write my own stuff and, and the lads used As to in write. lyrics of poetry or what? I used to write full songs and everything. Right. I I mean in the band the music is written by me and the guitar player and I do most of the music writing. Right. I write the lyrics and structures. Right. So I'm the main writer and then sure. Noel's right. second. Most people in Ireland are getting that mixed up. Because okay. um our first album was a bit messed and they're up saying the what that you write the words and they write people the think music. I write the words and the all right yeah, okay yeah. we can get that out of the way but we co-write the music and I write the lyrics at that point I raised the subject of the financial exploitation of women in rock music I told Dolores I'd recently interviewed for the Irish Times Sharon Nelson from Massive Attack who'd rightly complained that her salary was not commensurate with her role as the lead singer in the band but Dolores said this was not the case in terms of the Cranberries on the contrary she said she got more money than anyone in the band because she was its main composer No I, I, I'm the biggest um, I probably have the biggest income in the band because I'm the main the writer. writer I do most of the writing Three of the tracks in the first album I wrote alone, right. and then uh, nine of the tracks um, I co-wrote the music with Noel, and I do most of the music writing because I structure right. like, the melodies, the lyrics, and Noel comes up with guitar chords, and I listen, and if they're nice, we work with them, and maybe I'd say maybe the fourth one, can you change that a bit into something like, mm. yeah. and we just work together, yeah. but as, as writers, I'm the main writer in the band musically and a right. lyric writer right. and we've oh, we've all got a great understanding between us about that you know and we all respect each other very well and then the bass player and drummer don't actually write the music but I don't tell the bass player to play a D or an F here okay. but like you know we record and he's okay. got his choice of what to play so we also you know we share with them give them shares just well. a creative uh, their as well, right. you know. But who set up all these deals that they were so well structured for the band too? Was this all done for you by Ireland, by no, your we manager? Did most of the stuff ourselves, we were fairly involved all the ways. From the outside? Yeah. Aware yeah. of that? Yeah. The thing is, lads can't write a full song without me, but I can right. write full songs without the poetry. Right. That's the difference. Right, okay. So um, the boys always know. There's no arguments, there's no... Right. You know, it's all just a really good mutual understanding. Is there anybody pushing me to go solo? Loads of people, yeah. yeah. Loads of people Thinking encourage me Thinking you're the one. To. Yeah, loads of people encourage me to do that, but uh, I don't want to. How do the band feel about that? Yeah. Do they not feel a bit frightened, a bit threatened? Because no. if they lose you... They don't, because we've got a great relationship going between the four of us, and nobody, nobody can come between us, you know. Sadly then, in this battle between Dolores and me and that damn background music, it won out. But later in the interview, we talked about a defining feature of Irish music as far as Dolores was concerned, namely its spirituality. That year, I myself had discovered Native American music, particularly its chanting. So had she. And we both noted the similarities between it and Irish music. Dolores said she'd always seen music in this universal setting. And they'd be there and they go, hey, um, hey, and they go really soft again. And, um, and you're totally in trance, you know, meditating. Right, right. But isn't there a strong breathe. parallel between that even and what some of the stuff on the album, the yeah. Arabic chanting or whatever? That's where the music all melts together, yeah. not whether it's American, English or Irish. Definitely, you know. And as well as that, when I saw those Indians doing that kind of stuff, 
Did you ever see the old fellas out in the Aran Islands? Yeah, with the yeah, those, yeah, yeah. And they're really intricate old Irish, but they're really... African, Egyptian music, right? And the Irish uh, trad stuff. That in a lot of ways it ties in. It sounds similar, okay. but slightly different. But you see, this to me is a very healthy thing because I've had a lot of people say that one of the negative influences of U2 is that too many bands tried to follow this Anglo-American model of guitar-based four males doing a pretty aggressive music, dark aggressive music, which was maybe in ways Irish, but also Anglo-American. That, and if they'd had a broader view of the world, they would have seen that's not where things are going to go. Yeah. And it looks to me like the Cranberries, or you in particular, have tapped into that and maybe just jumped over all the rest. Yeah. See, I think our angle is totally different than you two, or, or Sinead, or any of them musically. I don't think it, okay. I know it. I know right. that we see a totally different thing, you know? As in the future and global and back to the history of music and all those yeah. undercurrents. Yeah, I think not there's fashion. different things that I'm really into then. I, I couldn't imagine Bonner sitting down listening to Egyptian music. All right. Next up, I just had to ask Dolores about what to me seemed to be a sexist comment she made during an interview with Stuart Clark for Hot Press. By the way, Belly is a band. Remember your comment last year in Hot Press that all men suck? Was that a serious comment? No, was that the one? That was yeah, the one Tanya Donnelly's. No, we were just after coming off tour with Belly. Right, and right, when yeah. I was talking to Stuart, I was talking about Belly. And he said, did you get any tips from Tanya? And I said, yeah, the one tip she gave me, and this is Tanya down to the ground, because she's totally, she thinks men are men, and women are women. And there's yeah, a the thing going on there, you know. Right. And she said, I said, well, Tanya, any advice for me? And she said, um, I'll just tell you, all men suck. That's all my, that's my advice. So that's what I was saying, Tanya, right. that was Tanya's advice. But no, I don't think that I love men. Do you, though? Of course I do. But there's a lot of anger in your songs, though. There are many songs about betrayal and hurt Well, I think that men, pain. I think that males have a problem with um, being open emotionally. All right. That there, there's, I think, uh, machoism, I hate it, and there's an awful lot of it, you know? An awful lot of men have this problem where they get with the boys and they find it hard to hold her hand and, and just say things that they normally say. Because it's easy for a woman to hold a baby. It's easy for a woman to say, love my little baby and um, no, I love you to her husband in public but it's kind of for men it's often I think it's harder you know I mean I'm working on the road with men 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 and all the men are together and they're all big boys and they're all hey you know look at that chick over there and then you get the man he's on the room and you kind of go oh yeah you start perfect. talking to him and he's a little right, lamb underneath right, it you know right. do you find that though oh, completely the biggest men are always the soft ones as well it's really strange but how much of this is do you think is influenced by rock Male stereotypes in rock. There's an, an image of masculinity that rock and roll has so But isn't it? It's terrible because I know because I've been, I've met so many people now and uh, going out with this guy and he's um he's really into the big American hard rock, Black Sabbath, right. Metallica, Guns right. and Roses, all that thing. But really underneath it, all those guys have so, soft little hearts in them. And they're all just little babies. You're not gonna sit down and go. Well, I cried last night, darling, because you were gone, you know, as much as they're going to go, oh, I'm a hard man. And 
But are they having a bad influence on all the young male fans who think that's the way to be? And I then are they saying, you know what I mean? It confuses them. And Definitely. That's why I'd never be angry with men at all, because I realise the pressure that men for stop are right, under. Right, right, You know, they're, na, 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 you're a sissy type sure, thing that begins sure. school yeah, and yeah. goes up through music and through everything. Through business, the whole visual, art, through everything. This is what we were talking about earlier, that music is getting more lyrical. There's a new sensibility reflected in music and it's moving away from this black leather male oh, yeah. cock rock. Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of thing that's dominated it since the beginning. Do you empathise with any of the right girl mm -hmm. groups? You know, the kind of radical militant feminists who are really have become as aggressive as the males they say they're trying to beat them. Yeah, I don't know, because I was never into that feminist right. thing, you know. I'm not into that battle of the sexes. I just, I just write songs because I want to. And if I was into women, I'd probably write the same. I grew up with five brothers, and uh, you know, I always tried to understand men. They've always been a puzzle in my head. All right. The whole thing, you know, why why did they have to be so men-ish? And then yeah. you, over the years, you discover more and more things. And of course, I've branched off in my writing as well. I'm not writing just about that now. As you get older, you broaden your horizons. I mean, when you're 18, you're just going to write about your boyfriends yeah. and your broken heart yeah. and whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you do, you have written about that, about the betrayal and the pain. Yeah, but I think that over the years I've discovered that there is a, a real honest, strong human side to the whole male race. And I've discovered that there are certain men that never grow up and overcome that thing, they stay stuck in the macho thing. Then there's men that just go above it. Right. And they look, they kind of go, yeah, it's kind of sad to be like that, isn't it? Incidentally, earlier during that exchange, when Dolores described the guy she was seeing as being into heavy metal music, but seemingly a softie at heart, she probably was making her first public reference to Don, the man she'd only recently started dating and would later marry. But at this point, Dolores went on to tellingly suggest that perhaps her detestation of machoism, as she called it, could be traced back to the grief that was given to her by some guys in Limerick because she wasn't sexually active until she was 19. I had a good laugh when I was young. I was into having a laugh. I mean, when I was 14, I wasn't really aware of... I wasn't sexually aware that much. Anyway, right. I, didn't be, I didn't become into the whole sexual awareness thing until I was 19, really. All right. All kind right. of, I just kind of was into different things growing up. And for that reason, lots of guys sneered at me and gave me a hard time because, like, I wasn't... She was. She's not, you know... You know. Well, she doesn't go. She's not yeah. one of the girls. There was the type that kind of went out really young and started to become active, yeah, but yeah. really in here they weren't really ready and sure. they became mothers very young and that was it. Like, And then there were certain types of girls that didn't and that didn't go out that much and that, you know, did their own things. And, right. But then later on in life you see the ones often that just waited, become more rewarded at the end of the day. Sure, but did you get flagged for that from them? From, from yeah, the local yeah, guys? Yeah, you would, yeah. Most girls do, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, st I have. Well, how did you respond? Did you say, fuck you up yours, I'm not, inter I'm not interested, or did you feel intimidated? It's kind of difficult, alright. I suppose maybe that's why I bore grudges against man. You, what, you bore grudges? Maybe yeah. That's why I was yeah. kind of angry. Yeah. I was angry with that type of man. As you can hear, that group of loudly speaking, maybe less than gentle gentlemen sat nearby and all but drowned out on tape the sound of Dolores and I, who were, as you also can hear, speaking somewhat softly. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. More can be heard on my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.